Hello and welcome to this IDP Connect podcast concerning the recruitment and admissions landscape to higher education. I'm really uh, thrilled that we've got an interesting topic to, to deal with, which we'll come to in just a second. Uh, but let me introduce today's guest. I'm really uh, pleased to be able to be joined by Paul Woods, who's the Director of Student Marketing and UK Recruitment at Middlesex University London. Paul, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Um, yeah, thanks for having me here. Pleasure. Now, looking forward to, to the discussion. So um, the topic that we've got in hand today is one that feels like it comes around increasingly uh, more speedily, but of course is, is a big event in, in, in the academic cycle, and that is clearing. And uh, it, it's not uh, the one day that it used to sometimes be referred to. It's a much uh, bigger process than that. There's a lot of preparation and indeed, it goes on for a number of days uh, in some institutions more, more than others. And we'll get into the nuts and bolts of it in, in just a second. But before we kind of plough perhaps straight into clearing directly, I suppose it's worth just taking a step back and thinking about the fact that admissions of, to UK universities certainly has been really strange in the last two years with the pandemic and, and everything else. And I just wanted to get your reflections on what it's been like at the kind of coalface having to make rapid adjustments to uh, dealing with recruitment in the last two years? Yeah, I mean, I think rapid adjustments at times felt, you know, a slight understatement. Um, we've obviously, you know, as a sector had to respond to, you know, in 2020, quite significant changes in how grades were awarded, you know, appeals from students, but ultimately really, you know, dealing with very anxious students, very concerned students about their future, students who were conscious that the learning they'd lost would, would impact their future. So I think at the coalface, it was always important that we reminded ourselves of that fact, that this was not just about kind of maybe government U-turns or, or changes in policy. This was actually about groups of students who have been going through even stranger times perhaps than, than we were as we had to turn our hands to maybe different deadlines or, or, or different peaks in the in the cycle than we um than we had um expected to and, and in that respect i think often having to provide messaging and information sometimes at short notice sometimes kind of beyond the immediate in some ways has kind of parallels with 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 clearing and we'll kind of come to that in 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 a, in a second i guess um Obviously, we've kind of, you know, there's been, and there's been lots of talk and some reflection on 2020 and 2021. And 2022, the cycle we're kind of in and heading towards uh, in terms of the start date for students is different again. There's more normality, but it's still not a perfectly normal um, uh, cycle. And so I wondered kind of what's your reflections on how this particular cycle is going kind of both at a national level and then obviously yeah. specifically for you at Middlesex. <laughs> I think what's been so interesting about the past two years, but even more pronounced, I think this year is, is just that um, variance across the sector. I think, you know, I'm involved in a lot of networks of, of school advisors and, and others on, on different social media and, and really read some heartbreaking stories, actually, of really talented students applying to oversubscribed courses at Russell Group universities with really high grades, predicted grades rather, and just not even being made an offer. Um, so I think, you know, at that kind of, you know, kind of higher ranked university end, you've seen one picture. Um, and then, you know, it, it has varied, I think, for other groups of, of universities. I, I think what's been quite common this year, though, which, which is interesting, is um, 
obviously the last two years have impacted even the students applying this year. We've got to remember they didn't take formal GCSE exams, for example, they were just awarded their grades then. And, and I don't know if it's driving this, but we're seeing them actually reluctant to commit to a firm choice um, of university. Across the sector, we've got students probably ready and you know, definitely ready to logistically to press the button and, and make a choice but they seem to be anxious or hesitant to do that in, in some way. And I think that is what's uniting um, the sector to generally. Um, and so it, it's providing a different challenge because at one sense you look at your numbers and think, oh God, things are quite different, but actually underpinning that is just a, yeah, a, a lateness, I think, across all points of the cycle this year. And, and I think that certainly kind of reflects the, the conversations and interactions that, that, that we get to have as, a, as a, an organisation that, that has, you know, links with all sorts of different institutions, you know, both in the UK and obviously internationally as well. But certainly across the UK, you know, the, the timeliness of, uh, of, of when, as you say, students are willing to commit to decision making, whether you're a kind of high end, high entry tariff institution, um, and you know, even applicants that are sport for choice, but they're still making those choices later on. And then other institutions that are kind of maybe having to cast the net a little more, more, more broadly. That 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 does unite uh, all sorts of institutions. And therefore, having surety about planning, being able to kind of work out quite what resources needed where is harder to do because the window of time to do it is 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 limited. Um, one of the other kind of features of, of obviously in the last two years, for, for reasons we, we, we know well, uh, the grade distribution was higher than in, in, in previous years. And, and that meant bluntly that more students were eligible for um, more of the high tariff institutions. It also had a big impact on uh, clearing in that clearing became less significant in a way because more students met their the grades for their first choice or their insurance choice. 2022 is likely to be a little different to that, um, partly because we're anticipating that the grade distribution won't be as high as the last two years, but it may be not quite as low as not that 2019 was low, but, but back to 2019 levels. So, you know, I'm not, not asking you to kind of give away specific trade secrets at, at, at Middlesex, but in kind of general terms, what sort of arrangement are you sort of preparing for? And, and, and do you think in crude terms, clearing might go back to being something a bit more significant, kind of more compared to 2019 and less 2021? I've, I've shied away from comparing anything to, to anything <laughs> before the pandemic at this point in, in my work life, my personal life, anything. Um, I think the I think it will be another different clearing compared to the last two years, obviously, but I don't think it will be a 2019 type of, of clearing. Um, I think what we have seen in the past two years, which we won't see this year, um, was that despite Russell Group Universities becoming quite oversubscribed, of course, a lot of them did go into clearing to make up international numbers that have now kind of returned in force um, at, at most UK universities. So I don't think we'll see the Russell Group Universities in clearing. But the big question is how will they fill their places from the applications they've got? A lot of them have, as we know, had to be incredibly careful with how they've made offers. Um, you know, that grade distribution, as you said, we're, we're not sure what that will look like yet. So it's, I think it's quite hard to second guess what that trickle down will be. I suppose what we do know is that Russell Group Universities expect 
you know, have seen high demand. So I, I expect compared to the last two years, there will be more of that, that trickle down of students who don't unfortunately make their grades for those universities. But yeah, I, I don't think it will go quite back to, to the pre-pandemic levels. Also because we've seen quite significant changes in the subject areas that students are applying for. The pandemic has definitely um, accelerated growth in, in science and technology type subjects, less so in the humanities. Um, so I, I think we'll see di quite different subjects potentially available in clearing or, or in demanding clearing um, than previous years as well. Yeah, as you say, I think there's different forces at play. Um, uh, yeah, my sense would be that the total pool going into clearing might be, um, I, I will make the comparison to kind of pre and post pandemic, mm. but you know, somewhere in size wise between 2019 and yeah. 2021. But the number of institutions playing in that pool will certainly not be as broad as 2021. I mean, it was you exactly. know, not that they were all very public uh, in, in, in their participation, but it was really interesting, particularly on results day itself and the day after, um, you know, institutions that wouldn't, you know, historically have gone anywhere near clearing largely, I think, for the reason you mentioned, the international student um, replacement. Uh, but also just the pattern of distribution was, was just yeah. slightly um, hard, to, hard to predict. Uh, uh, so yes, I think we'll see perhaps more of the kind of usual players, um, but 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 fighting over a pool that's not totally insignificant, but maybe not quite the the, the vast yeah. numbers that we're that we're that we're used to. Um, so taking a slightly different tact, <clears throat> um, uh, obviously for the last two years, we as well as having kind of the pandemic hanging over us, we also had significant discussions and proposals even being worked up on post-qualification application. And there was a sense that it was coming and it was a question of when, not if. But then a couple of months ago, um, it got taken back off the, off the table. And obviously there's a lively debate amongst our community about the merits of, of, of doing that. But um, I suppose the point I wanted to make is that if, we've got PQA kind of formally back off the table, but we have got students making later decisions. We've got a slight rise in clearing compared to the last couple of years. Do we, maybe I'll sort of say it provocatively, but for some courses in some institutions, we kind of have a version of PQA, which is that students are gonna wait till the right last minute. Sometimes they'll even wait till their grade. So do we in some respects have the kind of better features of PQA without the kind of the compulsory nature of it in, in its entirety? What's your, and it's a highly contentious matter, but what's your <laughs> take on it? Um, I, I think this is an argument many made and I'm open to say that I made um, when the PQA consultation came out that exactly that, you know, at Middlesex, we've seen an increasing number of students year on year actually, where this is their first interaction with the university system for various reasons, and not just mature students, actually students who were potentially considering other types of pathways, maybe degree apprenticeship pathways, but in reality, they're, they're not so plentiful in their supply as, as, as students sometimes might hope or anticipate. Um, or, you know, that they, they felt, you know, almost from the traditional PQA type angle, that they might not get the grades to get somewhere um, or where they wanted to, so they just felt um, that they'd hold off. So, I mean, I, I would totally, um, yeah, agree with that point. I think as well, you know, that we see in clearing now also that movement between institutions, which I think is is inevitable and also quite healthy for, for some students if they feel they've not made kind of quite the right choice. 
And I think the current clearing process allows them to reconsider their options in quite a measured way and, and doesn't put them under the pressure of saying, right, I've got my grades and now, oh my goodness, may I have to make this life-changing kind of decision in quite a compressed um, period of time. The difference with PQA though is I, I'm not sure how long-term the clearing system could work as it does if we see the continued increase in 18-year-olds going to university and participation rates, because you what you'll naturally see is there are just fewer places available in clearing because because universities have become full and have actually meet you know, met capacities that they can um, around their recruitment. So I'm not sure about the longer term, but I think certainly at the moment it does serve a positive purpose in that regard. Yeah, and and it is worth sort of planning out what some of the proposed changes to higher education funding will have in terms of the pattern of distribution. Um, yeah. You know. One of the things obviously on the table is the minimum entry uh, requirements that might take out a segment of students and that there would be some overlap with, with, with clearing. It wouldn't entirely cover over, but it, it would be a chunk of that, of that sort of student demographic. Um, there are some suggestions that government want to ration places. Um, and even if they're not necessarily going to set a total student number cap like existed previously, if they are fulfilling their promise, or some might see it a threat, but to ration places on the basis of student outcomes, um, might that be that we see smaller courses in certain areas? And that could, you know, these might have been the courses that needed clearing in order to fill places because there's maybe a bit less demand or, um, you know, students from certain backgrounds were, were applying. So um, I think at the moment, it's hard to be precise about how this will play out because there's quite a lot of uncertainty. Um, but we are promised at least the final word from government at the moment is that the auger reforms would come in for September 23 starters so we're going to have to get the detail fairly soon <laughs> if, 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 if this is to materialize but you know that's a, that's a kind of work in progress for, for everyone. Um, I suppose it's 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 reasonable in having a conversation about clearing actually to sort of talk about what might be regarded as the elephant in the room which was for many years even for decades um, when clearing existed those that went into clearing, there was a sort of a stigma attached to it or a sense that, you know, because they hadn't got into their um, uh, for infirm and insurance places that they were somehow deemed a kind of less success. And, and that was a sort of a tag that institutions who maybe did lots of clearing and, and Middlesex would be an institution that, that would be kind of um, associated with this were, were somehow kind of less um, pre prestigious because of that. I mean, I, yeah. I wonder, in the eyes of the applicant and indeed in the eyes of the institution, whether you feel that stigma has somewhat changed. Um, you know, we referred to it earlier. Some institutions still don't like to necessarily say they're in clearing, even no. if they are. And I kind of wondered what your take on that is. Um, yeah. I don't know. Do you know. Where does the stigma come from? The stigma comes from obviously the fact that you didn't get into your first choice. The stigma comes from the word as well. I mean, I'd almost like to challenge my former colleague who now is very senior at UCAS to go through the archives and tell me where that came from because it does almost sound like your sort of cheap low quality sofa warehouse sale <laughs> you know a clearance of of places which is really what it isn't anymore I think fortunately to applicants now um it has been positioned as, as something slightly different so maybe their parents see it as this clearance kind of thing but I'm not sure they do anymore and I think it's I think it's because it's less about not getting into your first choice 
Um, but as much about, whilst that is a large part of it, it is as much about, as I said before, actually coming into the system for the first time or, or making changes to your, to your choices. Um, I think as well as a sector, and especially as kind of, you know, higher ranked universities, even before the pandemic, you know, started to actually aim to recruit, you know, some, some really well um, sort of qualified students in relation to their grades in this clearing period. We've just got a lot more success stories of how this isn't your sort of last chance saloon for places. It's not that kind of rush that it used to be to, to get your place immediately. It's, it's actually a period where students are making quite, um, doing quite a lot of research before that and, and kind of, you know, looking at it as almost just an additional or different window to make those university choices. So yeah, it's definitely still some stigma. I think we could look at how it's, you know, framed even in its kind of positioning and branding with, you know, in the future. And with the higher education reforms, as we've mentioned, we might have to. Um, but I don't think the stigma is quite perhaps there in the same way as maybe it was when I went to university. Yeah, it, it certainly seems to me that it's it, it's changed. Uh, I think it's particularly so for those who will go into it most prepared. And mm. indeed, there are, there, are, there are some students who honestly, you know, if insurance or, or or firm place doesn't come through, you know they can be reinvigorated by the opportunity. You know sometimes there are um, new options that they maybe you know might not have, 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 have encountered or or kind of thought about previously. So it, you know clearly it affects different students in different ways. I I think your point also about terminology is is significant. Um, you know, if it were called to use the kind of the, the terms that have been that have been banded around recently, if it were called post results. Uh, application which is kind of a description of what it is you know actually that would seem to be in keeping with what government wanted and, and, and what's really interesting about you know to go back to the kind of the, the PQA thing um, often when government set out their intentions of what they, they wanted they weren't necessarily saying we needed the whole system fixed and often they would say actually those that knew what choices they wanted to make early on should and could be allowed to, 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 to do that but there wasn't a neat way to allow them to do that whilst also allowing those that wanted to make a decision later on to do it but actually I, I think we'd want that flexibility where those that kind of um, you know want a few choices want to hear back from an institution should be allowed to preserve mm. that but equally I think having a kind of a a real more officialdom around what happens to you if you want to make some choices after you get your results uh, would seem to me quite a desirable place to be, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that, uh, that pans out. The final thing I wanted to just ask really was uh, about how information uh, that is provided during clearing uh, kind of does need to be different because there's a sort of a concentration about the way in which that information mm. needs to be provided Whereas universities are thinking uh, and providers are thinking uh, about how you sequence information when students are going through the traditional cycle. But I wondered if you had any particular reflections on how you still get to deal with that kind of the volume of information that needs to be provided and the acceptance that some students going to clearing really only needing little bits of information. Others do really need the whole gamut and how you kind of straddle that um, at a time when sometimes there can be quite, quite a deal of anxiety as well. Yeah, I tell you, I mean, it, at times, I think in clearing, um, probably before the pandemic, it's felt like some of those students probably spent longer researching a pair of trainers they wanted from their favourite Instagram or TikTok influencer um, than actually their degree courses. But it's um, fortunately not that simple. I think what we actually see a lot more now is students doing that research 
in that period after their exams and before the um before the the kind of main clearing period when they maybe get their results is open we certainly at middlesex have seen in the past few years really significant numbers proactively signing up to get you know more personalized advice almost the kind of vip service on how to be you know actually walked through the the clearing process and to make um their their choices in the most um informed way it's it's a funny one isn't it because it's it, because it is that intense period of time, I think with our, with your content, you just need to make sure it's all there in a really clear way, so students can access as much or as little as they want to. And I think that's again where the pandemic's been actually quite a useful change, because most universities now have actual virtual open days that are pretty much you know always on demand content. You know, students can you know, if they really want to do a lot of research, they can actually go and watch back open day presentations, sample lectures, engage in short quizzes and coursework, although I doubt they'll probably go that far, but um, they, you know, they certainly can get a good a good flavour of the university and course. Whereas actually others, if if maybe they've engaged with, with the university before and have a clearer idea, you know, you can actually just make sure that those logistical steps are also really, really clear to them about how to navigate through that stage of the of the UCAS process, but definitely seeing people looking much earlier, sort of having clearing content online now from universities like Middlesex is quite common in, um, I think, kind of near May time, really. Um, like I said, so you hit them when they finish their exams and where they're starting to think about, well, maybe have I made the right choice? Well, maybe there might need to be a backup or other choices I might consider. Yeah. And yeah, given where we are in the in the calendar and I, I know that, uh, you know, uh, exams are, are just around the corner. I think maybe even some of the earliest exams have started to, to, to happen now. You know, that 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 kind of that if I think about the biggest change, perhaps in regard to clearing over, you know, compared a decade ago to now, you know, the the period that we think about it in advance and the uh, kind of the legacy of what happens afterwards is 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 a great deal more significant. You know, yeah. it, it used to feel like a kind of an endeavor that was a few weeks beforehand and and for a few days afterwards. And now it's really you know months in the preparation uh, and and can go on for for, for several uh, for several weeks uh, certainly uh, afterwards. And, and and I think especially because for the last couple of years and again this year because we don't know yet what the demand is you're always planning around scenarios with that logistical planning you know what's the maximum number of people you might need on phones so, yeah are we going to see a surge in people wanting offers through social media or whatsapp or are they going to ask more queries through there so it's it's about really having quite an agile not quite a very agile workforce who can move between channels based on actually how the students themselves are requiring and, and asking for information yeah, and and in a way that speaks to the general theme that I think the sectors that that's faced. I think we've had to dispense with the mantra that this is a time of unprecedented change because, in fact, it's been a period of perennial or, or constant mm. change, and it's how that is dealt with rather than any exceptional exceptional change. And this year will be uh, no different. So uh, I, it's probably a good note to to, to finish on. Um, you know, I'm really grateful for, for your insights, your sort of reflections back and your sort of crystal ball gazing in, in, into the future. Um, uh, it's, you know, a never a precise science, but it is certainly worthy uh, to think through what might might happen. Uh, thanks very much to those of you that are, are listening. Uh, uh, if you've got any comments or suggestions uh, or things you want to follow up on, please do get in touch. Indeed, if you've got suggestions for topics that might be useful for us to cover in the future, it will be good to hear that as well. But for now, thanks very much to you, Paul. Uh, thanks very much for, for listening. And until the next time, goodbye. Thanks.